evening and welcome to the Dark Art. Horror with heartfelt appreciation from two lifelong fanatics. My name is Jake Conrad. And my name is Marin Mascaro. The Dark Art is a double bill, and on this episode, we find ourselves immersed in found footage horror with a pair of movies that took cinema scares and brought them closer to reality with a home video feel. Tonight, we begin with the film that, through urban legend and infamy, became a cultural force to be reckoned with, The Blair Witch Project. Followed by its most logical successor, Paranormal Activity, the tale of an ill-fated suburban couple and their self-documented attempt to capture a demonic presence in their home. As a disclaimer, we must warn you that the dark art contains in-depth discourse on the subject of horror films, and therefore may contain descriptions of situations deemed frightening, traumatic, and inappropriate for children. And as a secondary warning, addressing the major plot points of these movies doesn't come without major spoilers for the films discussed. So as they say, enter if you dare. So for the first movie tonight, we have to go chronologically, I think. I think it's important. Um, The Blair Witch Project. I have a little synopsis about that for anybody that's been living in the woods around Burkittsville for the last couple decades and don't know anything about the Blair Witch Project. So discovered video footage tells the tale of three film students who've traveled to a small town to collect documentary footage about the Blair Witch, a legendary local murderer. Over the course of several days, the students interview townspeople and gather clues. But the project takes a frightening turn when the students lose their way in the woods and begin hearing horrific noises. That's a great synopsis, because that's... It's funny, but the, the visceral feeling of that movie of being lost in the woods, first of all, and being out in the in the dark and hearing something while you're in a tent. Are, are you a camper? Have you camped much, Marin? Well, all of my camping is restricted to my experiences in the Army. But that being said, yes, I've slept on the ground a lot. So I think the weird thing about a tent is, like, you have this false sense of security, even though it's like a pair of a, a piece of nylon in between you and maybe a bear or the Blair Witch or whatever your mind can conjure up. But it's funny how when you're in a tent, you kind of feel safe. Like you feel like, hey, whatever's happening is out there uh, a little bit. But the reality is when you're in the woods, you have no clue what's going on, whether you're in a tent or outside, you're just in your sleeping bag. or. And so I think that the Blair Witch, it, it grabs a lot of different things but let's talk about the format of the movie because I think that's why we we chose these two movies together. Um, I think this idea of a movie that does some first-person perspective that I don't think it that's not brand new. Blair Witch didn't invent that. I was trying to look up some other movies that did that, but the one that I kept thinking about was Rear Window, uh, the, the Hitchcock movie and and that was kind of one that I watched when I was younger somehow I don't remember how I ended up coming across that but I I've watched that movie many many times it's just really well done but one of the best parts about it is the main character has a broken leg and he's curious and most of the movie is him looking out into the 
the windows of his neighbors in an apartment complex. But the way that he the Hitchcock films it is you're looking through his camera for much of the movie. It's kind of voyeuristic, but it's also this feeling of first-person filming that I think, you know, it was probably done even before that, but that's just one that came to my mind. Um, so you That's mix. a very good one that comes to mind. Is there another when one? When I was you... looking, um, I noticed one that came up a lot was Cannibal Holocaust, which is a movie that I've tried to watch and never actually finished for one reason or another. And that's the movie that's credited with the, the found footage. Right, so that's uh, the other of. aspect is that this had first-person perspective for most of it. But, well, for some of it, but the found footage aspect is, is kind of a whole other thing. Like you said, I have unfortunately watched Cannibal Holocaust. Um, it's, it's disturbing. It, because I think one of the things it's famous for is nobody quite knows how much of that stuff's real and how much isn't. <laughs> Uh, yes, the whole idea of the, you know, another another movie that kind of played with that idea was Eight Millimeter with Nicolas Cage, where <laughs> yep. where he found the movie and he, you know, he went on a like a, a journey film. to find out if it was real or not, yeah. if the if the so called snuff film was actually real, mm-hmm. and you know that is, I think that's one of the things that really does make found footage. As a, as a film medium, horror is the place where it really seems to thrive because that kind of idea that you've stumbled upon something that maybe you were supposed to see and maybe you weren't and the fact that it may be real and it may not be is something that makes a lot of people very, very uncomfortable. Well, and it draws you in because we've all watched documentaries and there's the 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 found footage in a in a good found footage horror movie mimics a documentary you know in fact the first part of the movie they they'd make a pretty decent documentary it's believable that that's a student documentary and so we've we're we're used to that kind of a thing it feels real it feels like something that's familiar but i i think that the the interesting part about found footage is it fits the horror genre so well because we know already when it's found footage and you're there watching a horror movie that there's probably not a happy ending here and it's just like every other horror movie like if you think of a slasher film the opening credits you're seeing the sexy teens loading up their their truck to go into the woods and you're thinking all these idiots are going to die. Like, you know, what's going to happen in this case. You're when you start watching a found footage horror movie, you know that none of these people may make it because the fact that it's found and nobody has come forwards narrating it already tells you something. So it's more like a, it's almost kind of a mystery of to, okay, how is this going to unfurl? How are we going to see this happen? And I think that makes it kind of fun. It, it's, um, and so that's why little clues and little things that the found footage drops, you have to be pretty careful with it. And I think that this movie, one of the biggest things that they were able to do um, successfully was, because you never see a Blair Witch or anything like it. And some people really, I think, were upset with that. There's a lot, There, I mean, this movie did really well. It was 
it started, the, this type of genre became huge. But there are some people that absolutely hated it. And it's funny, the people that hate this movie and say, I didn't see anything, nothing really happened, they're usually the people I don't like to watch movies with. <laughs> well, one of the things, so I remember when this movie came out. It came out in the summer when I was about to turn 16 years old. And I was already fully formed in my love of horror at that time. And I remember the hype around this thing was insane. And that's because the way that all of the elements of this came together was just so genius. And it really seized upon certain, you know, hesitancies of the general public at the time. It, you know, this was at the time when internet culture was really starting to become accessible to the general public. This was when reality television started becoming very mainstream. And also, in addition to the release of this movie, there was a simultaneous release of a documentary about the Blair Witch, and it all created that, that air of mystery, the, you know, is this for real? Did these people really go out there and disappear? You know, we've never heard of any of these people. Are they actors? Were they really students? What's going on here? I remember they had a website that it had a picture on there that, you know, it was a missing flyer with all the three main characters' faces, their names, descriptions, weights. It said, you know, missing since, and, you know, the date that they were supposedly last seen while filming the movie. And I remember that there was a lot of talk amongst even people that I knew and, you know, um, at, if you're a listener of this podcast, you know that Jake and I both grew up in a quite small town <laughs> on the border of Utah and Nevada. And there were people even in our town talking about it. They're like, hey, you heard about this Blair Witch thing? You think these people are really dead? You know, it was I think the reason that this movie captured such a piece of, you know, just the general public's imagination is because they were able to weave in all of these elements to create what was probably one of the first real big internet fandoms. And really, it was just genius. There's no way that anyone could ever replicate this kind of movie magic ever again. Right. I can't imagine with all the technology that's out there now, a hoax-based movie blowing up like this. So that's why The Blair Witch Project really is special. I mean, it does stand alone in the whole course of found footage. If you say found footage, people think Blair Witch Project. That's, it's, it's the definition. And it still stands up as a as a quality movie, even without the access to the website and that feeling of could this be real? That's what's so amazing about it is that all that stuff created this fervor that took this. I mean, almost one of the most cheaply made movies ever. I mean, these guys, from what I remember, they the camera that they bought to make to film this, they they returned for full credit back to circuit city or something because <laughs> circuit city that's yeah a there you go uh but they did they they returned it and because they had nothing and yet what they were able to pull off in my mind i've described this experience before one of my favorite horror movie experiences has happened with the two movies we're talking about tonight and that was at some point I recognized that nobody in the theater, towards the end of the movie on both of them, was moving 
was eating popcorn, was getting up to go to the restroom, was talking. I, I And it was like this real eerie feeling that, you know, because you're focused on the movie, but it was like I realized that the silence around me and lack of all movement around me was, like, palpable. And it happened with both of those, and I remember this just pure joy of, like, this is what this genre can do. Like, it can take people from all walks of life, all ages, and you are ready for what's going to happen next. You don't want to see it. You don't want to know. And it just is stunning that it's kind of hard to get that with... I think the found footage helps that completely because there's a feeling of reality. There's a feeling you know something bad's going to happen, but being behind that camera yourself or having it be a recording, there's no safety you know, you're not expecting some hero to come in in the end and save anybody, like tropes that happen sometimes. It just feels like all bets are off. Like, And, and there's that isolation feeling that happens in both movies where you're, it's, you're watching this. It, the feeling is you stumbled across this movie in, in VHS format somehow, and you you put it in late at night and you're watching it and you're thinking, oh my gosh, is this all real? <laughs> so yes, I mean, as you said, you know this this movie was filmed primarily on high eight, which um, most people who are you know younger than twenty five years old probably don't even know about. And that was considered you know a a huge risk at the time because. At that time, when people were trying to move forward with movie tech, this group of people said, hey, you know what? Let's take it back. As a matter of fact, let's make it handheld. Let's have it be shaky. Let's, let's let them see all of, all of the flaws. Let's, you know, let's let them see the ugliness. You know, there are several parts of the movie where there's a shot where the camera's pointing at the ground and you just hear people screaming at each other. <laughs> because at this point, you know, they're lost. They're all angry with each other. They're all trying to blame each other. Which, you know, again, being in the Army and being lost in the woods, when that happens with one of your land navigation group, of course that's what happens. So... <laughs> I mean, seriously, this this movie gave me a lot of flashbacks of my experiences in the army in more ways than one. But yeah, the the finger pointing about being lost, oh yeah, that was real. It all felt very real to me. Well, and the more I read about the way they filmed this, the the, the crazier it is that this thing actually came together. I mean, they basically just took people that were not seasoned actors and... They gave them some backpacks. They gave them a rough idea of what their... I think the script was what they said, something like 15% written. And the rest was all, you guys are going to walk around pretending to be these people. Um, and it evolved. And, and I think the editing... I, I know that they ended up, because it, the interest was so high um, when they started to screen it, they were able to then afford to go back with a couple hundred thousand dollars to do some editing, which really helped it. But it's just amazing. Who who would ever back a movie like this if some kids came and said, oh, we, we, we bought this camera from Circuit City. We only have like two weeks to get it back. We have these people that have never been in anything, and we're just going to get them lost in the woods. And And, I mean, it's such a terrible concept in some ways and that's what makes it so amazing that they pull it off 
the numbers I pulled on this says they made it for a total of $60,000 and it went on to earn $248.6 million at the global box office, which we, we touched on that with Halloween also. Man, talk about a return on investment. That oh, is, yeah. That's insane. And, you know, Blair Witch really didn't have the sequels that Paranormal ended up having. and But it did open up. If you think about the movies that came after Par- after Blair Witch, um, some of them were horror and some of them, like Cloverfield, I guess that might be horror, but that's J.J. Abrams. And with some of the best technology available, he makes a Godzilla that you feel like you're right in the middle of. He took the best parts of this movie and he put his own spin on it. So I bet there's a lot of great horror movies that found footage, documentary type. Um, a couple of them I just thought I'd throw out that I I like. Um, there was uh, one movie that we thought about doing for this podcast is As Above, So Below. It's one I really like. But if you go back like uh, the Rec movies... REC. Um, Quarantine is an American version of, of Wreck. And those are kind of zombie movies from a first per, uh, found footage perspective. A couple maybe you haven't heard of that you might want to watch the Poughkeepsie tapes. I don't know if you've heard of that. I've watched that one a couple times. It's weird and cool. Uh, they're, they're last exorcism movies. Um, Troll Hunter, if you really want something weird and funny, is it's like this Swedish found footage documentary type thing, and there it's weirder than hell, but it's fun. Um, there's like the VHS movies. There, those are like a variety of shorts made by different people. They're really fun, and uh, the Devil Inside. There's a, there's quite a few of them. I mean, it it created a genre that. Some people have done with, I guess, varying effect. You know, um, all th- while I was viewing these movies, I kept thinking about something we had discussed while doing our sound check. And that's the idea that found footage works best in horror because of the voyeuristic aspect. And that came up while I was watching something that is a horror show in an entirely different way, uh, Pam and Tommy on Hulu. <laughs> and to think that one of the most, um, the probably the most widely viewed pornographic movie that's ever happened is a found footage tape. Like, yeah. the idea of the curiosity that people have about coming across videos that are not supposed to be seen is such a driving factor in making, in elevating things to almost cult status. I just found that I kept thinking about that as I was watching that series. I'm like, you know, this really does have a parallel. This is this is the same curiosity that people had about the Blair Witch Project. It's the same thing that people were into with paranormal activity. And I think it's very odd because outside of movies like like the horror movies we're talking about, I have never had any desire to be like, you know what? I would like to go in someone's house and watch their home movies. I've never felt that (laughs) way. And even when somebody wants to show you something on their cell phone, like, hey, check out this film I I shot at my kid's recital. No one wants to see that. So, like, it's such a weird thing to me that it flips so well when when people are like, hey, I've got this movie, but you're not supposed to see it. I, I think that 
there's something definitely interesting about, and I think in paranormal, we can talk about that later more, but I think paranormal is a little different because in Blair Witch, they're making a documentary. So a lot of what they're showing us, a lot of what the this found footage is showing is them making the documentary. And, and it is footage that we were eventually meant to see. That's right. And it's as the movie goes yep. further and further off the rails. That it gets stuff that out we of that. That's right. <laughs> yeah. But um, with Paranormal, I feel like it's even more voyeuristic because there's a camera set up in these people's house all over the place. Well, mainly their bedroom, I think. But um, And that feels even more personal in some ways. When you're out in the woods, you're kind of out in public domain a little bit. You're out in where there might be somebody out hiking. but like, having Oh, yeah, that, that place belongs to the bears. That place doesn't belong <laughs> to you. you know? Right. So it reminds me of, did you ever did you watch Rick and Morty? Oh, yes. So you know this the skit where, uh, I guess it's a commercial about a guy selling doors, and you're watching this guy, he does his whole spiel about selling doors, and then, like, the camera keeps following him as he leaves the set and gets in his car oh, yes. and drives home. And, and then, the ca- then the commercial starts up again. But it's like Rick and Morty are both like, we got to see where this is going. Like, this is amazing. Like, and that's the feeling with, I think, um, vo- this voyeuristic feeling. It's like, what do, what do people do when you're not looking? When, when they don't know that you're looking, I guess. And when they're at their worst in some ways. And I think Blair Witch... Both of them cover that. Blair Witch, I think, more so, where they're... Because these guys don't know each other, even as actors, in real life very well. And they definitely aren't supposed to know each other. Their characters don't know each other well. They're just thrown together on this, and it's supposed to be just a couple hours or a day and a night, and they're supposed to be back home. And so as it just gets worse and worse, they get more and more lost, and... I think the scariest part in that movie is not the the ending that kept everybody on the edge of their seat when I watched it. I did go opening day for both these movies. In fact, I think I went the night before, you know, when you can go later at night. I was so down with both these movies, but I think one of the scariest parts of Blair Witch is when they know it's it's getting too dark and they're going to have to camp that third or fourth night. And just that dread that you you feel for them, that you know it's just ramping up. All these, these things that are happening every night just gets worse and worse. And this idea that, oh, crud, we have to set up the tent again. We can't get out of this. That's a dread feeling that is, I think they handled it really well. Yes, I I would agree. T- to me, the end is is not is not the part that disturbed me the most. Um, I think I was most disturbed by the part where they had camped, they woke up, and then they found, you know, those, and forgive me, I forgot what they called them, but they found the symbolic stone, yeah, those stone totems, and there were three of them, and that's the moment that you know. Yeah, that that you know that the universe is pointing at you. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I... It's funny because I camp several times a year with my family. I, I really love it. I've been a, a scout leader, so I've taken scouts to go camping. And we camp, you know, where there's bears. There could be bears, I guess. And there could be mountain lions. And, 
you know, you're camping around other people, and, and so the, there's, but I've never felt any kind of fear. I, I think there is that fear of being lost, that you might be lost, but anymore, even with your smartphones, even when you're off the grid, you can sometimes have a GPS signal. I mean, it it's hard. I think that's one thing that, uh, that uh, Heather says several times. She's like, there's no way you can get lost in America anymore. And there is some truth to that. It's pretty hard to do. You can do it, but it's it's less likely. And Clearly, yet, Heather was never in the United States military. <laughs> well, neither was I. So you probably could speak better to that. I'm just saying that uh, I think it's that this idea of being lost is something... That, that I understand that, but it, being afraid of being in the woods at night, even when it's windy or you hear an animal, I've just never, I feel, I really feel a lot of peace there. I feel more comfortable, and I'm not like some ranger Rick or some survivalist or anything. I just have always, I've grown up camping every year since I was a baby, and I think that, that and yet this movie still is scary, effective and scary to me. Even though it's not like Jaws, where I when I go swim in the ocean, I have to like make myself not think about Jaws. I don't have to do that with the camping thing. I don't think about is there somebody going to rattle my tent. I don't even worry about that. So, and yet it's still effective for me. Well, my experience with camping is opposite. Like, usually in my experiences of being out in the woods, just when you start to to fall into the, you know, the peacefulness and, you know, the zen of being one with nature, something goes horribly, horribly wrong. Like a great example of this would be when I was in basic training, we were out in the woods prepping for a field exercise, which is essentially camping. And I was out pulling perimeter guard, which pretty much means that you choose a spot that has a large sector of fire for your weapon and you lay in the grass looking down the barrel of your weapon for three hours. That's what you do. So anyway, I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm staring down the barrel of my M16, disassociating, whatever. (laughs) And I'm just kind of looking at things, you know, listening to the wind and listening to the birds. And I'm just like, you know what? This is really nice. And then it comes into my view, a black diamond. I'm like, black diamond? And I focused out a little bit. Yeah, copperhead snake on a rock right in front of me. And I'm like, (gasps) (laughs) that was, yeah, that was a no. I got up, I started running, and drill sergeants were like, hey, what the fuck? Get back down there. And I'm like, like, no, there's a snake. I'm like, wait, what? Okay, everybody, stop, 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 stop. Nope, nope, nope. Okay, yeah, we're, we're going to reset. Like, <laughs> Game over, man. Game over. Yeah, seriously. But, I mean, and and I knew. And then they're like, so the drill sergeant comes over to me and is like, hey, yeah, sorry about that snake scary stuff. I'm like, yeah, yeah, thanks, drill sergeant. He goes, you know you're still going to do push-ups until you die for that, right? <laughs> and I'm like... Cool. And as I was doing my push-ups, looking down at the dirt, I'm like, so much for that peaceful woods bullshit. Like the Zen was gone. It was gone. But that's fairly indicative of most of my camping experience. Well, I think it's I think definitely the more you do it, you do have experiences, but 
you know, you kind of, most of the time animals just don't want anything to do with you. I think the people aspect, like I, I watch movies all the time, you know, we, we've talked about like Tucker and Dale where I think people are scarier to me than than animals by far. And, and I think that's this idea of the Blair Witch too. I mean, this, they're not afraid of mountain lions they're they're afraid when they wake up in the morning why there's a totem of rocks for everybody and then they find sticks with body parts and stuff in it i mean that's that's different and they do think that somebody's messing with them the whole time until yep, until it keeps, gets and serious and they keep saying that they're like someone's here they're yep. they're messing with us you know like and you know reading about how this was made i mean apparently it, it was a little bit like Hannibal Cannibal Holocaust, where the filmmakers, they these guys would camp, and every day they were giving them less and less food rations and water rations. So they they're kind of psychologically torturing these folks, and then at night when they're asleep, they'd come down and make noises and play audio of children crying and making and they'd shake their tent and so i mean the the feeling is feels real because a lot of it is real i mean i i'm sure that these people know they knew that this was for the movie but i think heather the actress um for the first little while when she was looking at doing this film she said i kind of was thinking these guys were going to take me out and do a snuff film with me and just kill me. Like, it, it took her a little bit to even trust that this was legit because this was such a rough, you know, way of, of filming. And I'm sure once they were out there, she probably they all probably had some doubts. So. I mean, you would almost have to, right? Yeah. like. But, this, you this know, speaking filmmaking. of, like, speaking of, like, you know, sort of psychological terror uh, that regarding this film and you and I discussed this ahead of time and we decided to go through it anyway but truth be told I was really nervous to watch this film I hadn't seen it since its initial theatrical release and since then I've lived a little life and I ended up getting a traumatic brain injury in 2017 and that injury has left me with with a disorder that's called convergence insufficiency, meaning that at the moment that I hit my head on the ground, it hit my occipital lobe, and my eyes at that moment decided that they were going to get a divorce. Most people's eyes work as a team. Mine do not. Mine are both rogue warriors out doing their own thing. <laughs> so what that essentially means for me in my day-to-day -day life is that... Things don't look quite the same as they do for other people. I have to do exercises to keep my eyes from floating away so I don't have so I don't end up with one lazy eye or two even. And reading is sometimes difficult. If I read for too long, the words will start floating on the page. Sometimes when I'm driving, the lines will start floating on the road. And at that point I have to pull over and take a break. Mm. So given the shaky cam version of, I mean version, <laughs> given the shaky cam and the way that it's presented and given that one of the things that contributed to this movie's lore as a horror movie were that people were getting sick 
and dizzy and vomiting during the movie because just visually it was too much for them to handle. I was really scared that that was going to happen to me given my new disability that I'm living with. And it kind of did. Oh, really? So this movie was, it was real hard for me to watch. And at the beginning, you know, it has the white letters on the black background and it's shaking. I had to confirm with other people who I was watching the movie with. I'm like, is that shaking or is it Is that shaking or is it just you? Yeah. (laughs) They're like, no, it's shaking. I'm like, okay, but the floating is just me, right? They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not floating. And I'm like, okay. But yeah, there were a lot of parts. I mean, this movie, it's only, it's less than an hour and a half. It ended up taking me more than three hours to watch it. Because oh, wow. I had to keep taking breaks. I feel bad. And finally, at the end, you know, I did actually, after I knew what was coming, so I knew what parts I could look away. Yeah. I actually started from scratch. And with only a few minor pauses, I was able to get through it in an hour and 45 minutes. The whole thing, start to finish. Oh, wow. Well, you're so, but doing it. But given that, now I understand what all those people were talking about. Because that experience did something to them physically, not just emotionally. And that is a horror experience that is hard to replicate. And truth be told, when we started talking about this, I was nervous to do it, but I wanted to do it. Because I was like, is this going to do something to me physically? Is this going to make me feel dizzy? Is it going to make me feel off kilter? Is it going to make me stick? I don't know, but I want to see. Because I want to see what the hype was about. And now I know. And man, I tell you, it is. This is a, that was a viewing experience that is um, completely unique to anything else that I've ever watched. And as far as a horror, you know, as far as a horror experience, I was uncomfortable as hell. So I give it two thumbs up. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Your dedication to horror. I got to say, you you got me beat because I... I didn't realize what I was asking for when I picked these shows. So I'm impressed and sorry also. <laughs> no apologies necessary. Like I said, it was an experience and I'm, I'm glad I did it. I wanted to know. And now I do. <laughs> well, and I think, you know, one of the challenges of this movie with the, the dialogue isn't scripted. And so a lot of it, there's not a lot of depth to it. And, and yet it feels real because of that. So you, it's kind of a catch 22 where, you know, a lot of times they're just screaming at each other and yet that's kind of more real than them saying profound things to one another in a, in a situation like this. So it's not for everybody. I would say, I I think that, um, but, but I think if you're a horror movie buff, you have to watch this movie unless you have, Marin's condition that I don't remember what that was called. Convergence insufficiency? I I still don't remember what that was. Yes, that. But um, one, one, is there anything else on? Oh, my bad. Sorry, I knocked over my mic. Let's try that again. Is there anything else that you want to talk about on Blair Witch? I don't really think there's much else to say that hasn't already been said. You know, there's been countless parodies and it's it's just become part of the cultural conversation. You'd be hard pressed to, as you said at the beginning, you'd be hard pressed to find anybody who doesn't know about it unless they've been living under a rock. Well, I had two quick things. 
The slime that was found on Josh's backpack was actually KY jelly. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> I and, did not come across that when I was reading about this. And, uh, you know, Jason Blum, who, or Bloom, I don't know how you pronounce his name. He's like the king of horror for the last 10 years. Oh, yeah. um, he passed on this movie. And then the movie made a ton of money. And as a segue into our next film, he didn't pass on paranormal activity and it and its sequels helped fund all the movies he made since it helped him get started. So it's kind of an interesting connection there. Well, I'm glad he was able to learn from his mistakes. Good for him. (laughs) Good for him. All right. So now let's talk about paranormal activity. Soon after moving into a suburban tract home, engaged couple Katie and Mika become increasingly disturbed by what appears to be a supernatural presence. Hoping to capture evidence of it on film, they set up video cameras in the house, but are not prepared for the terrifying events that follow, which I kind of feel is a bit of an understatement, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) I... This is one of my favorite horror movies, and I think that... You know, the sequels, there are some fun things in the sequels, but ultimately, this is the movie I, I would rewatch, honestly. And I, and I think it's rewatchable. I, there's some horror movies that it takes me years, you know, five, six years to think, ah, I could see that again. But I think that voyeuristic quality we've been talking about with Paranormal is. <sighs> I don't know why I like it so much. I tried to figure this out. First of all, it's a lot like Blair Witch and how it's filmed in that it was filmed for almost no money. I love it when when somebody, you know, is, has a passion project where they write, they direct, they, they edit, they do every part of the movie. And um, this was done in that way. I think it's, I think this may actually beat Blair Witch for the... Um, one of the cheapest film movies. This guy used his own... He wanted to, to feel... And, I, and I, I need to see if I can say his name correctly. Oren Pelly, I think his name is. He, um, he used his own VHS camera. He used practical effects. You, if anyone tells me a movie has practical effects, I'm already interested. Because to me, that is... Uh, uh, some of my favorite horror movies are like that. And um, for him to take, and he used his own house, he used unknown actors, you know, that's why just like with Blair Witch, these people, Micah and Katie, they're, they're, they're real first names. I don't know if that was an homage to Blair Witch or just practical because these actors can't do another, they, they forget that they're supposed to be another person. I don't know how that happens, but... I think that the fact that he used his own house, used an actual VHS-type camera, and it, it, it makes it feel real to me. It does to me, too. Um, I, confession time, I'd never seen this movie before. Yes! yes. <laughs> Nor I'm any so of the happy sequels. about that. Um, this movie came out in 2009. At that time, I was I was living in Italy uh, on a military base, and um, 
you know, we didn't we didn't get all the movies. It wasn't, you know, we get like the major blockbuster releases, you know, like Terminator Salvation and Transformers <laughs> and things like that. But yeah. you know, smaller films that that built, you know, that you know, that kind of built their box office prowess over time. That wasn't really the type of movie that they got. So I missed out on that one. And by the time I got back, there were already a couple of sequels. So I kind of felt like I just effectively missed the boat. So I just kind of moved on to other things. So it was very interesting to be able to see something that, you know, is so widely talked about and, you know, has already had the ending spoiled and everybody, you know, I already pretty much know what the movie is. But to still be able to go into that with fresh eyes, it was a cool experience. And let me tell you, man, if somebody had asked me what year do you think this movie was filmed, I could have told you it was 2009 or 2010 just by the house. The very first <laughs> comment I made was, holy shit, why do they live in an olive garden? You know, that, that Tuscan, that faux Tuscan motif that they had all through their house. It was, it well, was very... This was the filmmaker's actual house, but it was all originally, I think, all white walls. Really, uh, very plain Jane kind of a, and he actually did all this painting and made it look like an olive garden, I guess, to your words, to to try to add a little bit of production value to it. I think, which is funny that that's the thing that we, I, I agree that you're looking at that going, did did they buy? Did somebody do this and then they bought this house? Did they do this? <laughs> but uh, yeah, but. I mean, because that that was the architecture style that was all the rage at the time. The faux Tuscan. I've I've seen many people try to emulate it. I, I'm really glad that's not the style anymore. But <laughs> I think that Some... one of the hardest parts of this movie for me, you know, with with a documentary feel or this type of found footage, it has to be believable. And one of the hardest parts of, of any horror movie is thinking why are these people continually doing this why are they have they not just packed up their bags and got the hell out of there and i think that it this movie answers that question but it's it's a little bit rough and i think it's because i think about if i you know my significant other was being harassed by a three-toed demon i I'd, we would leave, and and if she wanted to stay, I would say, you know, I'm we're leaving. I, we have to leave, you know. And so for for Micah to be like, hey, this is really interesting. This is really cool. And she's like, I don't really want to be doing this. Like, it, it just gets worse and worse, and we shouldn't really, you know, pull the tail of this tiger. And he's like, no, no, this is cool. This is fun. Some of that bothers me a little bit, but maybe that's just because... I, I feel like I wouldn't do that. And yet, I think that answers the question as to why they continue to stay. They try to answer that in different ways. Yes, I thought that's one of the things that I really do commend whoever constructed this story for, is that they did try to answer it for, you know, they tried to answer his motivation and her motivation. And the fact that they established very early on that this is a transient demon. It follows her. She's what it's attached to, not a location. I mean, we already know she will not escape. 
she right. can't get away from this from this presence. It's after her. It wants something from her. Now, for him, that's why, you know, it was interesting to see, because at the beginning I was like, well, this guy's kind of a douche. <laughs> like, yeah. he's, very he's very clearly violating her boundaries. She's scared. Right. She's uncomfortable. And he's like, oh, this is super fun for me, because it's not the demon who wants to kill my ass, you know? So, <laughs> hey, I'm going to be here to support you, but I'm going to film it. Is that cool? Is that cool, babe? Can I, can I get this on film? Yeah? Yeah? <laughs> no? But yeah, right? It was like... But I, I, I think was, that I was there are relationships cool. like this and, and where, whether it's, I don't, it doesn't have to be the guy, but in this case, where the guy's like, no, no, it'll be fine. No, no, it's cool. No, let's, we're, we're doing this. And, and there's times that, and, and, and I'm hoping that that's getting better in the world, but I don't know if it is, you know, where the guy's like, no, we're doing this, even though it's stupid. Because I, I'm saying we're doing this. And it's, in a way, he kind of, the result of this, what happens in the end, he can't say that he didn't see that coming and he wasn't warned. We all knew it was coming. And yet, I think one of the coolest parts of the show is, I think that it unroll, it, it, it rolls out these supernatural happenings in such a good, slow way that it's actually somewhat believable. I mean, I guess when the Ouija board catches fire, I'd be like, nope. <laughs> that would probably have been the point where I would have left. <laughs> but prior to that, Regardless, all the stuff I would have said, that was okay, happening. Yeah, I, know this, I know this thing follows me, but it's going to have to follow me in my car. That's <laughs> <laughs> Right. Ouija board's on fire. I, there, there's nobody that's going to be like, well, let's, let's give it another day, you know. Even if you don't believe in anything like that, you're just going, no, it's time to go. Well, going back to the Katie Mika dynamic, I thought it was very interesting that he only started seeming to be really afraid of the presence when it marked his picture. Right. Because he seemed like he was totally cool with everything until his picture got scratched. And then he's like, what the hell? Why did it scratch my face? So he is a douche, is what we're yeah. establishing. I mean, he, he, he wasn't worried about her. He was worried about his own interest. He thought it was funny, a joke. At one point, maybe he had this idea, like, I'm going to be your protector. But he was, he was really saying, I want to protect you from the thing that I'm causing. Exactly. I mean, he totally thought it was a joke. I mean, there was a point when he was quoting, when he was quoting Monty Python and the Holy Grail to yeah. the demon. And, he and I mean, on, you know, if I was if I was a demon, music. I'd probably be like, "Well played, sir." But obviously, this <laughs> demon didn't like it. So I mean, he puts on like horror movie music, you know, and he's like, "Ooh," and he, he does. He thinks it's funny. But uh, and he also completely disregarded, um, you know, the, the professor expert. they had come in, the expert, which again, I would have been very annoyed were that my fiance. It was like, we've invited someone to our home to address a very real concern that I have, and you're sitting here, you know, like, clearly not taking anything he says seriously. Seriously. Um, so a little bit of facts about the show. It was a, it, the film was shot out of sequence in a seven-day shooting schedule. So it, it's pretty much real time in a way. It, it feels that way, too. I mean, it, 
Um, I think the magic, the part, some parts of this show that really were effective to me. One scene was when she was sitting out on the porch. Um, he wakes mm-hmm. Mika, Mika wakes up and she's gone, and she's sitting out on the porch and she's kind of in a trance and a little bit. Is that is that kind of what you got from that? That is what I got. It seemed like you know she was definitely not in control of herself. I think that that was obviously I would have said it, we have to go now, but at the same time, um, it was about then that she started to not protest as much. She started to basically. It there came a point right around there where whatever this presence was, she didn't have as much control. She wasn't fighting it anymore, and and I think that that's when it it it, it was it gets really scary for the audience is to see that she's no longer saying we got to leave now. She's almost welcoming it. And that, that brings up an interesting question. Like at that point, is that when the demons, you know, took control of the possession of her or was that a conscious decision decision that she made because she was tired of fighting? It's interesting to kind of try to pinpoint where that turn was. I think that the practical effects in this show are some of my favorite in a horror movie. I, I think the the footprints and the, they try to do things that were are actually pretty smart, you know, to try to catch a ghost in the act or this demon or whatever it was, and and yet they do <laughs> and they don't run again. I but uh, I think putting the talcum powder on the floor and I mean, having the camera running right there is something that takes a level of dedication. And, I mean, they catch things. They're catching her behavior, at least, if not doors opening and and things happening. It's, I mean, it's people watch these type of paranormal shows all the time where they're supposed to be real and people go into haunted houses and hospitals and whatnot. And I, I know, you know, people watch this stuff to death. And that's the the vibe here, only we're actually seeing things happen, where a lot of those paranormal shows, a guy's like, I swear I heard something, and you're like, I didn't hear anything. <laughs> you know, one thing that I really liked was one of the things that, one of the tools that Mika used to try to capture evidence of the presence was EVP. Um, you know, electronic voice phenomenon. And I like this because I have some personal experience with this. Uh, Young Marin back in college at the University of Utah during a year that I'm not going to mention. um, While I was pursuing my communications degree, I took um, a radio uh, a class that was um, about radio presentation and you know hosting media over audio devices. One of the things we had to do in this class was create an audio documentary. And I, with my friend um, Felicia Martinez, who uh, up until recently was a reporter in Utah, uh, we banded together and we interviewed a troop of ghost hunters. It was, uh, it was a family, mother, uh, father, and son, who would go around and record EVP around the state of Utah. They took us up with them to Ogden, and we went into a mausoleum, and we... We went around, and it was at night, very dark, 
and we were walking around a mausoleum with recording equipment trying to find ghosts. It was not the most comfortable night of my life. Huh. Why? Well, I think it was more because... You know, again, maybe it was the kind of a Blair Witch feel. I'm like, I don't know these people, and they want us to come, come <laughs> hang out with them film? around a bunch of dead people. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like, okay, here I am. I have my little headset on, and I have my little microphone out, and I'm holding the recorder, and they're telling me go in the basement because that's where the ghost is, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm not doing that. They're like, put this pillowcase over your head. You go, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, like, um, hold on, hold on and, a second here. <laughs> This this trio of people, they were nice people, but they were very much what you would expect a trio of ghost hunters to be. They dressed in all black. They all had very morose type of voices. Oh, you know, it. like they again, I, I should I hope it doesn't seem like I'm making fun of them. They were kind people, but I was not comfortable. And I didn't know them. And they were asking me to do things that were frightening. Well, and I think that one aspect of the supernatural that comes up in horror movies a lot is this idea that if you go looking for it, is that when you will find it? And if you're going to look for something dark and something harmful, you know, possibly, what happens when you find it, I guess? And, and I think that's a fun question to ask yourself and i think some people yep, and what a great callback to the movie because that is one of the questions at heart was it getting worse because they were pursuing it and they asked themselves that didn't they they did yeah. i mean she we know katie absolutely felt that they were making it worse not really they i mean she kept saying we but what she really meant was you to mika right <laughs> but you know she felt that way I'm not quite sure that he did. And now we'll never know. <laughs> so, uh, Roger Ebert, I've, I've always loved all his reviews. He, I mean, I don't agree with them all, but I like how he, he says it. He said about this movie, it illustrates one of my favorite points, that silence and waiting can be more entertaining than frantic, fast-cutting, and berserk FX. For extended periods here, nothing at all is happening, and believe me, you won't be bored. I thought that was really well stated and true for this show. That's very astute. And I think that actually draws a, a, a really good parallel to a horror movie that's one of my personal favorites, The Ring. Yeah. Because for a lot of the movie, there's not a whole lot as far as supernatural activity happening. It's a lot of waiting. There's that continued sense of dread because as the days in that go movie, by, there's a yeah, as days go by and you know you're on a time limit. And both of these movies had a very slow build of suspense to an absolutely explosive ending. Yeah. And as I said, I did not have the pleasure of seeing paranormal activity in the theater, but I do remember seeing the ring in the theater and I think everybody was buried <laughs> into their seats because they did not uh, want to be touched by, by Samara that. crawling out of the TV because it kind of felt like that was going to happen. Well, it's funny because those are special times for people that love horror to feel that way and to feel it collectively with a bunch of people that you don't even know. It's, it's unique. I mean, I don't know. I guess people can all feel sad in a 
in a drama or you know if a main character dies or there's I, I just have never felt that in a collective group to that degree with anything else so that's why it just feels it's it feels kind of special I will say the way that the ending the resolution of paranormal activity played out was a bit surprising to me because I mean I, I should know better not to do this how many horror movies have I seen but I just took it as a foregone conclusion that the demon was going to take Katie and I mean by take I mean that she would end up being mauled, maimed, killed, and I really, I really thought it was going to happen when it dragged her out of bed. Yeah. You know the very famous scene where you know you see her legs be dragged out the onto the floor, yeah. and then yep. So the fact that the demon instead ended up claiming Mika's life first, at least in the sense of you know the you know, the plane of existence on Earth. I mean, it could yeah. be argued that, yes, the demon took Katie because she was possessed. But the fact that he was the first, that he was the person who died first, it still surprised me. Even with the incredible foreshadowing with the scratch picture, <laughs> it still surprised me. And I, I'm like, oh, man, they got me. They, they got me. So they got me. They got if me. you read some of the history, there was actually, there were three different... Um, endings to the movie i guess the one we see and two others and i'm trying to remember what happened i, th I think that i um, saw that there was one where it was it was kind of a similar ending where you know she where katie murders mika on camera and then she goes up to the camera and looks into it and cuts her own throat oh okay yeah that i think there's also one where um you see more of the murder, Mika's murder, in the camera. I think it was much more, like, visceral and, and whatnot. But I think that, I, I'm glad that they, in fact, I think Spielberg suggested that they change this ending. I, I think I made a note about that. But I, I want to say that Spielberg helped out with the ending and suggesting that it be what it ultimately became. And I, I guess if Spielberg likes your movie enough to watch it before you put it out and gives you a suggestion, you may want to think about it anyway. Yeah, I think you should probably consider it. But I, I think that it follows suit that you don't quite see... I mean, it, this is different than Blair Witch because you're seeing in this movie where Blair Witch, is, you see the effect of things for the most part. You'll see the sticks hanging in the trees. You don't quite know who did it, how it got there. In this movie, you you have an idea there's an entity, you see doors open, you see footprints and all that. And so I feel like, but I feel like this movie ends in a way where you know what happened, but you still get to use your imagination as to what happened to Mika downstairs first. Uh, and I think that's effective. I, I think not seeing the Blair Witch, not seeing... Um, an aspect of what that demon looked like. I think that was a hit. I mean, it would have been a miss to see some cloudy vapor CGI bullshit version of some horned demon. I, I, I'd have been out at that point. But whatever I've created in my head is way worse than anything else that they could have showed me. I agree. And you know, yeah, to me, not seeing is the scariest thing of all. Well... And I think, you know, being 
in your house alone or you wake up in the middle of the night and you hear a noise, I mean, we all have it. In fact, I think this Oren Pelly, he said he got the idea from the movie from a personal experience. He had a box of detergent fall off a shelf, and he's like, there's no way that thing should have fallen off a shelf. It wasn't near the edge. It wasn't, you know, and maybe there was a tremor. Who knows? But in his mind, that's what sparked this idea of something actually happening and wanting to look to find out what and how and and you know i think with uh, the ring cameras and i mean we have some security cameras at our house and you have web cameras i think horror movies have explored this quite a bit trying to catch visions of this other world this supernatural world but i, I think this is one of the better examples more believable more grounded uh of any that I've seen. So again, I, if somebody likes horror movies a little bit and they haven't seen this movie like you, I'm so happy that you got to see it. I, I feel like it's really a fun show. So of course you have to now try to go to sleep. And if you hear a noise, deal with that. But um, I definitely, after I watched that movie, then turned on Rick and Morty and waited to fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> well, you probably, probably have enough training that you can handle anything even a, a horned demon that comes after you so me i'll probably i would be crying in the corner you know but well i do have a pair of nunchucks by my bed well that would be worth seeing actually <laughs> <laughs> i want to see you practice your nunchucks while you're doing your eye exercise if you can send some video i think the fans deserve that at least i mean yeah let me let me go buy a pair of crocs to really <laughs> you know drive the drive the footage home well I, this has been fun these are two of my my favorite horror movies and they they do work together perfectly one one definitely came because of the other one and um and and some of the movies that have mimicked and and used some of these ideas they're not bad there's aspects of paranormal two and three at least that they're watchable they're fun um they take they take they try to create some kind of a lore and and siblings of of katie and things like that um it, it starts to lose its thread after the third one i think but there's some some fun things that some uh i, I think people looked at it with a different set of eyes and did some good things so you may want to put those on the old list and that's a wrap for tonight's episode of The Dark Art. We hope you enjoyed our real talk on the realistic fright of found footage. We sincerely appreciate you letting us add a bit of darkness to your day. Until next time, friends. <laughs>